Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And uh, this is a take two, everybody. Take two on Laura from 1944. Uh, hopefully we remember all of the witty and remarkable things that we had said last time we did this. Before we get into the episode, how was your week? A little extra long? A little extra long. It was enjoyable, though. I had a good time this week. Um, how was yours? You know, it would have been better if uh, my external hard drive hadn't decided that it was going to stop being an external hard drive and start being a fancy black paperweight. Uh-huh. So, so it fell or the computer fell? It fell. Mm. We finished recording Laura last week, right. and it slid off of the table and hit the floor and disconnected itself. Not ideal. It's mm-hmm. a solid state, or it's not, it's not a solid state hard drive. It's a mechanical thing with a thing that whirs on the inside of it. Okay. Um, I was like, oh no, so you don't want to do that. Um, you are supposed to eject the things before you separate them, and they're not supposed to just fall onto the floor. Um, but it's happened before and i was like maybe it'll be okay and when i plugged it back in like two minutes later it showed up and it seemed fine and then on tuesday monday monday Mm. i went to edit this episode and uh as i was moving my mouse towards the place where i could click on the external hard drive, it disappeared. It was a ghost. And then I tried forever, tried for a day and a half to remount it onto my hard drive, and it would not do that. And then I searched the error codes, and they were the worst ones. And then I downloaded a thing that said, hey, we'll scan your drive and let you know if there are any recoverable features before you make, we make you pay for this. And I was like, I like that. That's good. Because what I don't want to do is pay $40 to be disappointed. I would like to know whether or not I'm going to be disappointed before I choose to spend $40. And um, then I left my computer alone for 60 hours as it scoured that hard drive Mm. for no files found. And I will tell you that there were thousands of files on it. So... Uh, we're going to pretend like that never happened. You may have heard a new theme song today because we don't. I don't have those files either. So now seems like a good time to update our sounds because I have to anyway. Uh, and so we are going to re-talk about Laura. I'm trying to get this out late rather than an entire week late. So we're not off by a whole week. Uh, and that is the goal. So we're going to, This is. it is Saturday afternoon when we record this. I hope to release this by Monday. Mm. Uh, and then we will have Platoon out on Thursday. And the plan, I think, will be to have some time in between. But I might just drop both of these on Thursday. You might just have a double bonus Thursday mm. coming up here in the beginning of... Two uh, very different films. Two very different films, which is why it was kind of, it's kind of okay. We're going to record these back to back too, kind of. We're going to go for a walk in the middle. or Some some people are going for a walk in the middle. But um, we're going to record them both today. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. Um, you want to get into this? Yes, I do. Film 
So this is Laura from 1944, directed by Otto Preminger. Uh, tell me about a little bit about Otto Preminger. Otto Preminger was one of the directors who fled um, the Nazi occupation of his country. And he was... He's uh, like from Austria-Hungary, Austri- right, right? right? And now I think he his home is like in Ukraine. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, the, where he was, yeah, yes, where it is now, yes, it's it's stayed in the same place geographically, and the political boundaries around it have shifted. He uh, was very famous for doing very kind of edgy, pushy movies. Originally, he was hired uh, by Daryl Zanuck to be a producer on this film. Okay, and uh, the directing of it was given to another director, who assembled the cast and couldn't quite keep everything under control or keep the thread of the story going. So Zanuck very reluctantly passed it off to Preminger. And Preminger yeah. was, he's notorious for being really rough on actors. Oh, fun, one of them. He was shouting, he was dictatorial. Uh, but that's a lot of the actors, oddly, that came out of Europe. Europe. Yeah. Billy Wilder had the same sort of reputation that he really? would just start shouting if something went wrong. Oh, that's a bummer. I want, I love Billy Wilder movies so much. Right. That I don't want that to be Which true. Is odd because yes, because when you're looking at a film they're that so he does, lovely. they're really lovely. <laughs> they capture human beings at their most vulnerable. They really do. And at their saddest moments, and you feel really proud when Jack Lemmon or one of the other. I mean, most popularly, him stands up for himself. Yes. And, and declares that he's a human being that's of value and everything, and then you think, oh, the director was a person. Who, if something went wrong, would start yelling. Would treat you not like that. Yeah, yeah. that sucks. That That's disappointing. But uh, I remember um, he did a film, The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. <gasps> He's one of your favorites. Right. Uh, where Christopher Lee played Mycroft Holmes. Which but is very much Christopher Lee is time. not a fat. Christopher Lee is very lean in this. <laughs> and he, uh, he made the comment, uh, what was it what, like working with Billy Wilder? And his kind of pithy response was, you know that Hitler was also Austrian. Mm. <laughs> and so, but he apparently liked working with him, but yes, there were times. Well, because I think that if Billy Wilder got his voice over a certain decibel, all that Christopher Lee has to do is look at him. Right. Which apparently did And Otto, maybe blink. And that shit is done. Right. Preminger did some, had a similar encounter with uh, a person who I have very mixed feelings about, Kirk Douglas. Oh, Yeah. During the making of one of their seem films. great is rapist doesn't seem great anymore. Mm. Right, he uh, he was shouting at Kirk Douglas, who then walked up to him and got within an inch of his face and said, "Are you talking to me?" Like uh, Sean Connery, right? Sean Connery, with Michael Bay, who treated <laughs> Michael Bay apparently. Yes, um, held him up in a crane, and you know, it's like, well, why don't you come down here and direct me? It's like, no, I'm afraid. So, yeah, stories like that happen. Uh, Preminger, though, was very famous for, as I said, pushing the um, pushing the boundaries of what was acceptable during the film code. Interesting, and, and I you'll think see a lot of that in this film. Fits here, yes. But on top of Laura, he also directed uh, Daisy Canyon, okay, which is a film that I actually really like about uh, a woman who, an intelligent businesswoman who has an, who's having an affair with her married boss, and meets a young war veteran. Uh, who's played by Henry Fonda, and she 
has to make the decision whether she continues this relationship with that's going nowhere or right. continues or, with her boss. Um, and the fact that no one goes into histrionics, no one overdoes their performance. Yeah. It's just people living their lives. Exactly. <laughs> and that also is Daisy, uh, Dana Andrews, who's the, the lead in this film. Yes, guys... Here, here's a here's a fun thing. This movie stars Jean Tierney and Dana Andrews, and whoever you think is the woman and whoever you think is the man, don't switch it. Jean Tierney is a beautiful lady, and Dana Andrews is a ruggedly handsome man. <laughs> he, he did. He he was um he was a very interesting actor, Dana Andrews. But we'll get to him more later. Yes. But uh, among the things that Preminger directed was Where the Sidewalk Ends, which is a film with both of these two leads again which is very gritty and very tough. Angel Face, which was another film noir. The Moon is Blue. Um, the Man with the Golden Arm, which was one of the first films that starred Frank Sinatra about a heroin addict. Oh, wow. And I recognize uh, the reference then. Yeah, it was. And then he directed... I was like, baseball pitcher? <gasps> Drug addict. Okay. <laughs> Anatomy of a Murder. Uh-huh. With Jimmy Stewart, which was a film that was about a sexual assault. Yeah. And they used terms like rape and semen <gasps> and actual and, terms for right, actual, actual things terms. um he did a lot of bunny lake is missing which was a very interesting film but uh yeah he was uh, he he did also two films porgy and bess and carmen jones which were adaptations of all black versions of popular musicals right or at least porgy and bess i believe was started out that way Carmen Jones is a, a all black. Is it a take on Carmen? Take on Carmen? Oh, yes. interesting. Um, Before Rent. Yes. Which is uh, not all black, obviously, but it is also a take on Carmen. Right, but he really promoted Dorothy Danridge to become a huge star. <gasps> She's a beautiful. And they had a, some sort of relationship, despite the, their age difference <gasps> and the fact that he was very dictatorial in German, uh, or Austrian rather. Um, I, bet Austrian she was was, I bet you he was submissive in the bedroom. None of my business. But anyhow, oh, yes, so he, he was a very controversial director, and I think that's one of the reasons why Zanuck, back then, seeing the way that he would work around actors and work around a plot, um, didn't care for his company. However, seeing that the film was losing its thread. Yeah. Because what had happened originally is that a lot of very strong actors were cast in this So film. let's also start with, this is based on a movie, or no, it's based, it's on, based a book, on a book, by Vera Casper. That came out just before the movie did. Right. Right? So what was the story with that? Was this the one where she had written the play? She had written it as a play, and which is why it has a lot of very juicy dialogue to it. Yes, it does. And, That's accurate. And um, it's also odd, to, I think, to consider how Vera Caspary was one of these women who, or authors, rather, I'll put it that way. Yeah, there you go. Who is not... Um, is not as well read today. I have never heard of her. But at the time, she was very well read. Uh-huh. And I think Preminger was trying to option another one of her books, The White Girl, which was about a black woman who was very light-skinned, passing herself passing. off as white. Um, Tricky and, to do in 1944. Right. And this was, uh, yeah, she wrote that book in 1929. Wow. So she wrote, as she put it, She's like, well, I'm not a mystery writer. I write women's stories with mystery elements. Yes, okay. And so a lot of what you see in this book, in this film, there's a kept man. There's a yeah. lot of, we'll talk about that later, yeah. veiled homosexuality. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of that is really due to her and the fact that she's writing about not just the experience of different kinds of women, but the experience of being a professional uh, woman and also different kinds of men and yeah. how they fit into that world. So, yeah, um, Preminger got the script. He he tried to get the film produced. It was being directed by somebody else who the producers hired Dana Andrews and Gene uh, Turney. Yes. Who at the time were not particular, they were not marquee names before this. Gotcha. Film. Okay. Uh, but they were actors. Uh, Dana Andrews does a really good turn in one of my favorite westerns, The Oxbow Incident. Oh, okay. Um, next to another actor who also just shot to stardom, uh, who was uh, Anthony Quinn. Oh, I know him. Sometimes he plays a Greek person. Sometimes he plays a Mexican. Sometimes he plays a <laughs> Mongol. Sometimes he plays an Eskimo. That's just Anthony Quinn. But, um, excuse me, Inuit. Inigo. Uh, but the other parts were going to be played originally by George Saunders. Yes, that's right. Who we can... George, so let's, let's actually get started. Sure. And before we start talking about who plays what, let's get into the movie. So... This is a another film noir because mm-hmm. if it's a thriller, if it's a thriller list, we got to have a lot of noir films on here. It is in black and white, uh, as we said. Uh, it's beautiful last time. Academy Award winning black and yes. white. Yes, best black and white cinematography this year is they split that category apparently. Uh, I guess after um, something like uh, Gone with the Wind or Wizard, Wizard of Oz, Oz happens, right. they're like. Um, these are different disciplines. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so we start with voiceover from arguably the most important character in the film, mm-hmm. Waldo Lidecker, played here by Clifton Webb. And this is, he, he's important. His casting is important. Uh, he is the one who originally was going to be played by George Saunders. Right. And much of the stuff that he says, or the way that he carries himself in this film, is similar to the way that the George Saunders character in the picture movie we Gray. saw, the picture of Dorian Gray, is. Or even in um, even in Rebecca. Yes, sure. Yeah. Oh, that's right, yes. But uh, the the main difference here between Saunders and Webb and therefore into Wal- the the character of Waldo Lidecker mm-hmm. is Clifton Webb was known then and is known now by anybody who looks at him or listens to him uh, to be a homosexual male. Right. He was as out as you could be at that yes. time. Uh, of course, it was not safe to be out, but right. <laughs> uh, and he was hired. For that reason. Which is, yes, which is very odd. He's playing a um, a charismatic newspaper columnist, as, as he's described. We'll call him charismatic. You can call him charismatic. I would call him an arrogant asshole. <laughs> but, yes, but judging purely from his words, he's very witty and very funny. Sure. He's so very, but he read is... him in a newspaper column as opposed to watched him yes. carry himself about his daily business. Yes, I don't, yes, right. <laughs> you'd probably come across as terrible. I'd be funny. like, yes, I'm a fan of this. I don't want to have dinner with right. him. He seems mean. And I mean. think part of that, because we discussed that in our last take, that George Sanders probably could, he carried a different energy. Yeah. Where despite the fact that he does this sort of like, um, 
almost overbearing kind of character, he doesn't come across as effeminate in any way. He doesn't. And partly it's because he's physically very large and he has yes. this very deep voice. Although I've seen effeminate right. large no. men, but no, no. Um, well, uh, but the uh, Webb, Clifton Webb is slight, right? And physically very small, older, yes. Uh, mustached, which mm-hmm. I think is important here, um, but very. Um, I mean, okay, we the first guys. Okay, the first time we see him, he is narrating. Uh-huh. And we kind of pull back, and what he's what he's doing is he's typing in the tub, right? While a police detective is visiting him, so that's a pretty flamboyant "fuck you" attitude, right? But not just "fuck you," "fuck you" kind of in a sexual way, like mm. to just be like, "Yes, I understand." There's a police detective coming to my home to interview me. Well, that happens. I'm going to choose to be nude. In my tub, typing. Right. Clearly showing you that I do not respect your time. Or your authority. <laughs> or your authority. Right, right? Exactly. But it is also very much a... He's not... He doesn't sexualize Dana Andrews' character, if that is the police right. detective, um, in any way or anything like that. He's not coming on to him or anything. But he is very much this flamboyant, I don't give a fuck right. thing. And that also comes across in the voiceover that we're getting, yes. wherein we find out that the reason that this police detective is here is because he is investigating the death, the I believe the night before at the time that we mm. open, of one Laura Hunt. Laura Hunt, beautiful, successful, 22-year-old. <laughs> I'm going to harp on it a lot, y'all. Just get, just get prepared for the amount of times I harp on her age. Uh, successful advertising executive who was killed the night before in her home by a shotgun blast to the face, yes. which I missed. <laughs> and she didn't, I didn't realize door, that until later. And immediately someone unloads with a shotgun directly into her face. Into her face. So there's... Um, yeah. So and so the, the, mm-hmm. the opening, what's going on here, Waldo is her very good friend and benefactor, and he would say the molder of her like the, right. the 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 reason that she had the success that she had was due to him he believes and will continue to tell us over the course of the film uh and so that is why he is being investigated by this detective miss doctor detective mark mcpherson mm-hmm. which is a very modern name every time there's a name like that in these movies i'm like Waldo Lidecker makes perfect sense in the 40s. Mark McPherson, really? It's like saying his name is Chad. I'm like, no, it isn't. <laughs> well, Mark McPherson is, um, he's a detective. He's he a detective. Automatically, well, at first, Waldo Lidecker does not care for his interruptions. No. This is the second time yeah. that he has been interviewed about Laura's death. Exactly. And, um... However, he gets a kind of a admiration for yeah. uh, McPherson because he realizes that McPherson was a man who is essentially fearless. Yeah, he walked into a, a I guess a a den after a known gangster wound yeah. up with a silver shinbone. He calls him that at one yeah. point. Uh, so he's a guy who basically is very quiet, very stoic, 
He's says, constantly playing this one of those little um, games that are like a little ball bearing that you're mm-hmm. trying to get right. to different things, which is how he gets people to think that he's not paying attention. Right, exactly. Is, is what's happened. Because it gets brought up by everybody. Why are you looking at that story. thing? Shouldn't you be paying attention? He's yeah. absolutely paying attention when he's doing this. There's a way for him to center himself, but it is also a way for people to think that they are not being seen yeah. when they are very much being seen. There's, it's very, there's a, probably the best film Chuck Norris ever did. Uh-huh. It was Code of Silence. Oh, not Ladybugs? Hey, well, he wasn't in Ladybugs. No, so was, was I in, thinking? Um, What's the Jonathan Brandis movie he was in? Uh, Sidekicks. Sidekicks, which is a good movie. It is pretty fun. Uh, oh, Jonathan Brandis. He did a, a like a modern day film noir. Okay. Called um, uh, Code of Silence about a police officer who accuses another police officer of killing a young kid uh-huh. during a bust. It's okay. actually very accurate. Now that I think about it, it's, like, it's very current. And so he testifies against him, and the result is they all shut him out. Oh, okay. But uh, the director of the film, apparently, in an homage to this movie, uh-huh. Chuck Norris is constantly playing with a Rubik's Cube. Oh, interesting. And it's what fidget yeah. spinners became. Some people yes. need to be doing something with their physical body to uh-huh. get their, to, to, so that their mind... Uh, it's not described recently, actually. I really liked it. It was like, are you the can't have any background noise kind of mm-hmm. ADD, or the um, has to have something running in the movie or in the background, right? Like a movie or or TV show running in the background. Which I can ADD. do both, but they said, but, here's yeah. what I am. Uh-huh. My brain needs to be used at one hundred percent. So if I'm doing a task that uses ninety nine percent of my brain power, whatever that is, taking a test reading something really dense, doing something like that, I can't have any sound going on. Right. If I'm doing a task that's like data entry or something that's pretty rote that I don't need to be paying attention to, it's 10, 20% of my brain power or less, then I need something to fill in the other space. Yeah. And I'm like, I think that actually might be the way my brain works. <laughs> because, yeah, sometimes I like cannot have any sound. Mm. Most of the time I need sound. Yeah. So... Um, that I thought that was interesting. Okay, but here's the thing. Okay, here's the thing about this movie. There's really only five people in it, mm-hmm. so let's let's talk about. So we've got our our detective, Mark McPherson, and he is interviewing all of the people who may have caused the death of because Laura. Because that's the course of the film, yeah. And so first we start with Walter Lidecker, uh-huh. who tells us that. For the past five years, which is why I have a problem with her being 22, because that means she started at this advertising company under 17, which seems insane. Five years ago, she, an uncouth youth, came up to him while he was trying to have lunch and basically said, hey, would you be willing to... um, Cosign this pen, basically right. endorse Sponsor this it, pen. Right. Um, we'll give you for five thousand dollars, and all you have to do is sign your name. And he treats her like straight up garbage for 10 15 minutes. But then her light and essence is so pure and good that later he then does go to her place of business 
sign his name. And ever since then, they have basically been inseparable. They are best friends. He has gotten her into all of the best places to go in the city because he's very well known. He's, you know, in New York, in, in stat, in society. Right. He has, um, styled her hair and dress. Yes, he has, um, introduced her to more people who have made her more successful in her field of choice. And, you know, without him, of course, she would be absolutely nothing. But she, her light and beauty and joy and joie de vivre, mm-hmm. make him want to be a better person, he says. So that is how we're introduced to Laura and to Waldo. And the other people at play are Laura is engaged she is engaged to a man who needs no introduction, except he does need an introduction because you've never seen him this young or this wide. Right. This is Vincent Price as a very young, very virile, fucking linebacker of a kept man. This He is a pretty boy who comes from wealth but has none of his own. And would very much like it if you would marry him and take care of him forever, please. The first time I saw this film, <laughs> I saw it uh, like I did when um, during the video revolution. And as I told you before, I saw the picture of Dorian Gray, and I saw Vertigo. I saw the four Hitchcock films back to back, the ones he he did for Universal, and it got released from the vaults. So there was a lot of stuff to look at, and I saw Laura for the first time. So I had had a history with Vincent Price as the abominable Dr. Fives. Oh, I've seen, yes, I've seen that. <laughs> and also these That's films. the 70s, right? Yeah. That's, so this is se- like right. decades later. That is Scream the- and Scream again. And thank God I hadn't seen Witchfinder General by that point where he's just terrifying. I also know his voice work, right? That's how right. I introduced to Vincent Price. So, uh, and there was like at the time thriller. also the generation who knew him because of Thriller. Yeah. Uh, but Everyone sort of knew who Vincent Price was when I was a kid. Um, so much so that Tim Burton has him in um, one of his animated films, one yes. of his early films. And yes. then he appears, I think his last performance was, uh, in Edward Scissorhands. Right. But uh, but the thing is, seeing him young, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'd never seen him like this. Right. And, and I did not realize how, like, I, he is massive he's playing a man named shelby carpenter we mm-hmm. should say and as i said he has no money to his his no. his name he is trying to marry wealthy and be taken care of now he's not without his prose like he's not just no he's intelligent he's man, well-spoken baby. he's well he's not i would not use the word intelligence on Whoa. him he is though romantic he's like when a woman is with him, and we see him with more than one woman in this right, movie, exactly. they are, he is he knows what he's there for, right? And he fulfills the experience. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he is very romantic. He talks about there's a very I, there's a very sweet passage where he is talking to a woman. I'm not going to say who yet because it's a spoiler right. uh, about um, 
what are you going to do for lunch? I Oh, I was worried about it. I wanted to check with you on your plans for lunch tomorrow. And she says, oh, well, I'll be having lunch with you. And he goes, mm-hmm. oh, no, no, I wasn't worried about that. What about next week? What about next year? What about every day for the rest of your life? Like, it's very right. sweet and romantic. Um, but he knows what he's there for. That's he's, right. The Holy Spirit. This is what he has to offer. Right. And he is offering it. He is, yes. And he, um, unfortunately, is also having a relationship with Laura's aunt, Treadwell. And also... Al, is it Alice? Is that her name? I think it is Alice Treadwell. And Treadwell, who's played Anne, by... excuse me. Judith Anderson. Who and she's just saw... a world away from Mrs. Danvers. In Rebecca's in Rebecca, Mrs. Danvers, yes. she's almost a reptilian She's cold. not... Here's the thing. You come, you come into this movie, uh-huh. and you're like, okay, so we have the people that could have killed Laura, or... Clifton Webb, Vincent Price, <laughs> and Judith Anderson. And you're like, I mean, lock them all up. <laughs> right. Because at different times, I've seen in different lots places, of people, right? every one of these motherfuckers is guilty. Um, which I think Dane Andrews is also like, yeah, all of them. <laughs> right. Every one of them, all of them. So he's like, he, he, He's leaning towards Waldo quite heavily. He's also leaning towards Shelby quite heavily. Waldo is also leaning towards Shelby quite heavily. But Shelby pushes back a little on Waldo. There's a lot of back and forth. The the only other person really of note here is Laura's housekeeper, Mm -hmm. Betsy. Bessie. And she is heartbroken and, and, and inconsolable over the loss of her uh, boss, and she, but she is paid through the week and she's going to keep working. We also see these weird scenes where the police detective just hangs out at right, the victim's so, house, which is not covered in blood the way that one might think that a shotgun blast so in the face would he, make it covered in blood. There's a large portrait of Laura on the wall. On the wall. Of her own apartment. Strange. Classy. It was a <laughs> gift from a famous artist who romanced her. Yes. What we know from Waldo's... At some point in those 22 years. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask questions. Uh, the, uh, the story is... Because we get Gene Terry's appearances in flashbacks. Yes. Well, um, to this yes, point. to this point. Um, she shows up, and uh, we get the flashback of her attempting to get Waldo to sign off on this um, this pen. And then we get the montage of him, like, basically curating her yes. for success. Yes. Then she becomes a successful executive, ad executive, I believe. I believe that is right, yes. And then she, um, but what Waldo notices is, despite the fact that he's cured her issues with addiction and whatever else, is that physically she likes them a little more... Um, Furile. Yes, I believe that's the term that I would use. And Waldo, because of his age, possibly, but also because of his kind of very effete presentation, does not fit into that. Yeah, it's... And that's, we'll, well, that's I want to come back issue, to this right. At, we, right after I get to the, the mid-movie twist. It's not even mid-movie. 25 minutes in? Somewhere around there, yeah. So the murder that he is that 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 the detective is uh investigating of one Laura Hunt um happens on Friday evening. Mm-hmm. Uh Monday morning Laura shows the fuck up. Hey, what's up everybody? I was out so of this town. Is, this is after um <laughs> Mark is alone in the apartment. He, yes. he there's a very odd scene. 
And the scene probably won't be equaled again until you watch something like Vertigo, which we're also going to see. Yeah. Where there's this strange relationship where he's listened to so many stories about her yes. at this point, about her from her aunt and from her her fiancé and from this her guy who's obviously friend, right. in love with her. Um, there's a great line where um, uh, he te- he asks Waldo, were you in love with Laura Hunt, Mr. Lidecker? Was she in love with you? And Walter goes, uh, Laura considered me the wisest, wittiest, most interesting man she'd ever met. Which is not really answering the question. It doesn't answer either question. No. Um, so, yeah. So what the, happens is that he lets himself into her apartment repeatedly. Right. But like in, we in see several scenes of him scene, just hanging out. Undoes his tie. Yep. Drink like his, drinking hair drinking liquor. Her, her liquor like well, he's home. Sir. <laughs> and just kind of like seeing her looking at her picture. And once again, there was a woman shot in the face with a shotgun. Why, right. there, why, how are you comfortable? The, the blood, the brain. Well, That's the, the whole situation. The idea with his character is that he's made to seem, and I mentioned that the first time I recorded, like he's suffering from fo- some form of PTSD. He he obviously has seen some horrible things. Sure. And he, because again, this is the guy with a silver shin bone, he went in just guns blazing. Yeah. And he's developed this strange kind of infatuation with her picture. Yeah. To the point where when Waldo comes over the night before, because Waldo has a key, um, he's asking the detective questions. The detective's asking, what are you doing here? Well, what yeah. are you doing here? And then Waldo confronts him with, well, I heard you put a bid in on the picture. Oh, okay. He's going to buy this machine. Right. Buy it's the like, if nothing, it's like, is this going to become a gruesome souvenir from the strange it murder? It feels like that's what it's going to be. Or is it going to be that you've, you're long, long or you the loss of never meeting this woman is going to be too much for you. You know? Yeah. She's going to pass out of his life and just become a memory, but he wants this picture. Right. So I think that was something that even when we discussed it the first time, we kind of missed how important that was. He put a bit in for the picture. He put a bit in for the picture. The picture itself, just to let everyone know. It's as big as me. It's massive. Right. It's like an eight-foot-tall portrait. It's huge. The portrait was actually... In the story, it's developed by an artist who is one of Laura's lovers, and Walter, seeing that she she says she can't make it over to visit him one night. Do you mean Waldo? Waldo, excuse me, Waldo, seeing that he can't uh, visit her one night, passes her home, just like stalking her, sees that she's having dinner with the artist through her upstairs window, right. and then immediately excoriates him in his column, so she can never take him seriously again. Um... In Which actual, is his normal move. He right. does that all the time. This is, Every man that's been in right. Laura's life, if if Waldo thought they were getting too close, yes, or she was getting ready to basically to marry him, she would. He would eviscerate this person in Prince. Right. And I don't know. If she didn't see this as a pattern or like. Well, I think the the difference with what? Laura is that she doesn't take them all very seriously. The men. She doesn't take anybody seriously, I don't think. And I, I think that that's kind of, again... I feel like that also, we we didn't really talk about this before either, but she's a woman who works in advertising. Right. So that is somebody who dress, packages crap yes. for resale, right? Like, that's, that's what advertising fundamentally is. Um... I thought I would be really good at advertising 
So, so her her chosen field at the age of you know four or whenever she started uh, was <laughs> advertising, which means that she is that is a social climbing, right? Uh, by 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 definition, which she, we can see that she is also in the flashbacks as she allows this well-off man who she is not interested in marrying mm -hmm. whether or not that was ever even proposed we don't right. know um and once again i'm he's gay um so, <laughs> so we gotta get into that but um but she's certainly willing to take the help and right. and the hands up um to to make herself and in a better position. And they become sort of like a platonic couple who shows up at parties. Yes, and they're, they're, so. they are together. Everybody right. knows that they are together in as much as whatever right. that is. But so, so she shows up, she comes back, she's right. alive. It's not Laura that died. It's not Laura that died, everybody. It is... Diane Redfern. Diane Redfern. Mm -hmm. And um, it is... <laughs> the Everything sort of comes um, together on Monday uh -huh. because... Uh, Laura shows back up, and so at that point, Mark knows. Okay, well, who, it was somebody else, and it must have been Diane, who is another woman that Shelby was seeing. Cute, right? And we know that earlier in the film, uh, Laura has gotten uh, Shelby a job. Yeah, at her advertising firm. Yes, and he's pushing Diane Redfern as a model. Yes, because they're looking at this print, and again, the, the print. It's interesting looking at. Advertising back then. Yeah. Because it reminds me, another film that covered this pretty well was A Shape of Water. Oh, yeah. Where there's that transition between photographs and paintings. Yes. People did paintings. Yes. To advertise things. They still do. But um, <laughs> in this case, she looks at him like, well, who's this model that you keep using? Oh, that's Diane Redfern. She's one of the models from the yes. model pool. Yeah. And as it turns out, she is, and this is how I know that she's not taking him particularly seriously is that she knows that they're carrying on an affair yeah. and doesn't really have a problem with it because she's going to be married to him and he's going to stop. Whatever. Right. At least that's what she thinks. Right. Yes. Um, and that name comes from the lab almost at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. So Monday, the jig was going to be up anyways. Right. We're going to know it's not Laura. So Laura turns up and Mark is like, you're going to stay with me, which is wild, but... Your house is uh, a crime scene. Right. <laughs> Nobody should be there. But also, somebody tried to kill you in it. So, because what we know is that the woman that was killed was a brunette woman with no face. Because, once again, shotgun right. blast to the same head. Same height, same build, wearing her. Wearing her robe Laura's and robe. her sli house slippers. Yes. Man, why were you wearing this other woman's clothes? We'll find out. But, um, so at this point... The, it's still a murder investigation. Somebody has still yes. died. It's not, however, the Laura, the investigation of Laura's death. It is the investigation of Diane's death. And I don't know. I don't... Uh, basically, Mark goes around and interviews everybody another time and then accuses everybody once, well, what he does, finds out that he can't, those are all wrong, and then figures it out. He shows up with Laura. To each Wal place, to Waldo's yes. place, yeah. and Waldo faints. Faints. Um, well, he goes. He loses, mm -hmm. like his knees go out on him. Right. I don't think he loses consciousness entirely, but he does definitely sink to the fucking floor. <laughs> uh, Shelby seems to be less shocked, but Waldo's really the one that hits really hard. Yeah. Um, 
And so what he's doing is he's gauging the reactions to, Yes. did you know she was dead? Did you not yep. know she was dead? And we um, we also have her, uh, her poor maid find right. her, who goes into hysterics and then is asked to make them food, which, cool. <laughs> it's like, what have the fuck? Have you ever heard a ghost ask for eggs? Uh, yeah, so there, um, th- but she's staying at Mark's house. And as she's staying at Mark's house, Mark is getting very into her mm-hmm. because that's appropriate. And so they do start m- making out and stuff. And then he is like, you're going to like leave Shelby, right? Like, because we find out and Shelby does this thing. Shelby is Vincent Price. But Sh- and Shelby does this great thing where he is constantly lying. Right. And then just aw shucksing his way out of lying. Like to the to the fucking police. Oh yeah, no. Um, I knew it was Diane that died and not Laura because I was in the house when it happened. <laughs> Laura was. But I knew it would look bad if I told you, so I wasn't. Laura was thinking over the, her proposal to Shelby, knowing that Shelby was now in, was hooking up with Diane. Yeah. So she's out in the country. Yes, she's out in the country. And Shelby takes advantage of this opportunity to get. Diane into her apartment. Brings Diane, the woman... The, Laura is thinking about the, the future right. of your relationship because of this woman. So what are you going to do? Bring this woman into this into into your current fiancé's house. Right. Dress her in your current fiancé's clothes. Presumably fuck her in your current fiancé's bed. Just for. And... He was like, well, I knew eventually that you guys would know that it was Diane and anybody would. So what had happened was they're together Mm -hmm. doing whatever they're doing. And someone knocks on the door and Shelby sends her to answer the door with the story of Laura's out of town and she lent me her place for the weekend, which he says anyone would believe that because that is just the light and joy and radiance that Laura is. Y'all, I'm going to, we're going to get into why I'm being so snarky about that in a minute. But so she does, he does send her to her doom because as soon as she opens that door, kablam kablooey, her face is all gone. So the idea being that Mark McPherson now has two possibilities. Either Laura herself, in a fit of jealousy, blows this woman's face right. off, which he does consider. Yes. Or somebody seeing Diane Redfern in the gown, in the slippers, opens the door. She's lit from behind. That's a big deal. Right. Light. That's right. She and can't see her face. Just right. her silhouette. Similar looking, immediately gets shot in the face. Yeah. And so that it, the, the bullet was intended for and, Laura. And Shelby does keep saying, like, yeah, I probably should have told you the truth, but I was scared and I was afraid of how it would look. And so he's not, he hasn't totally written Shelby out into right. um, safety. Also still not in safety, um, Anne Treadwell, the the aunt, mm-hmm. with whom Shelby is still carrying on an affair. Right. And with whom Shelby is having dinner at one point and Mark brings Laura to, to sort of crack to show. Because what happens is Mark says... Will you break it up with break it off with him? And sh- and she says, I don't know. I don't necessarily want to break it off with him, even though they're now kissing and things. Mm-hmm. And then he's no, like, he Okay, cool. Really, Let's go yeah. check out what he's up to because he's definitely with other women. So mm-hmm. you don't need to be doing this with him. And so they do go to her aunt's house. 
when the uh, maid is like, oh, no, she's not here. They're like, yes, thank you. That's fine. And they just walk through the house until they find them eating a meal together, at which point Laura does say, I'm going to break up with Shelby. But then when she does go to talk to Shelby, she makes the decision not to break up with him, well, which once again sets Mark back. not going so to break up with him right away. Like, she keeps thinking that she can protect him, um, which... He's really, Vincent Price is playing almost like if this was like a standard noir, he'd be playing the femme fatale that everyone's messed up over. Mm -hmm. Because it's, they're making excuses for him, they're covering up for him, they're doing all sorts of stuff. Everyone except Waldo, who's like, fuck him, put him in jail. Exactly. (laughs) He's clearly the bad guy, put him in jail, put him in jail, put him in jail, put him in jail, put him in jail. It is art, and that's all his... His whole art, or you know, his uh, column is saying, right. just put this dude in jail. Like, he is really in the police's ear about putting this dude in jail. Which is which, why he's just mm-hmm. following Mark McPherson around. around. Just telling he keeps him all popping the time. up randomly at places. Yes. Like, what are you doing and here? And then, when once he's uh, fainted or he's collapsed, he's taken to another room and allowed mm-hmm. to rest. And then he makes a phone call from that bedroom telling everyone to show up at Laura's apartment or not Laura's apartment another place I think his his apartment uh, for a party so it was all his sudden, apartment all yeah. the suspects are there yeah and uh, and anybody who didn't know that Laura was alive now right. is, is alerted to that fact uh, yeah which really is going to throw a wrench in the uh, investigation which is entirely what he intended to do um, yeah he wants to try to make it seem as if <sighs> He really wants to incriminate Shelby. Yes. Because he believes that this will be a way of getting rid of one of his rivals. Although she well, doesn't also... want him because... <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a very complicated kind of relationship. It's Yes. Yeah. So fundamentally what what comes what happens is basically uh, the detective narrows it down, narrows it down, narrows it down, and knows that it has to be Waldo. And it has to be Waldo because... Of the clocks. It's the clocks. Right. The first thing that we hear about are the wondrous clock, this wondrous clock in Waldo's apartment that is only rivaled by its twin, which is in Laura's apartment. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes and he's looking at this clock in Waldo's apartment and he breaks it like he can't get in. Like there's like an internal compartment and he can't get into it, but he Kicks it breaks over. it right. and it's empty. And then he goes to Laura's apartment and he realizes that there is a latch and he figures out how to mm-hmm. open it and finds the, the murder weapon, the shotgun, which Waldo had left there. And so then he sets up a trap, just putting Laura in her apartment as bait. And Waldo comes and tries to get her again. Mm-hmm. But he is... Killed by a police officer that is not our main character because that keeps his hands clean so that he can go after Laura, I guess. <laughs> and then that's the end. So Waldo is the one that killed that that tried to kill Laura, mm-hmm. and it was all for what? And this is this is where I come to turn. I like I come to a weird head at this with this movie because I think this movie has two problems. And the first problem is um, the problem that the movie Rebecca avoids by never seeing Rebecca. So we are introduced to this magical creature of Laura 
for the first 20, 25, 30 minutes of this movie. And then we are introduced to the actual person of Laura Hunt, because she is a main character for most of this movie. And I don't see what I have been promised with the stories from the beginning. And I say this not, this is nothing against Jean Tierney. Mm -hmm. This is absolutely nothing against her acting, her looks, any of that. It is, I think, 100% down to what's on the page and what's being directed, but specifically what's on the page. She is absolutely doing a great job with what she has been given in the script. That script does not elevate this character to the level that the beginning of the script elevates her to. And I don't know if that's an on-purpose or just a miss. But I don't think it's... I think it's a miss because a lot of the reviews about this movie are that that the sparkle is not there. You're going to call this movie Laura. You're going to make her the love of everyone in this movie. Everybody in this movie loves her except her aunt, probably, right? Um, to some extent, whether it's for their own benefit or gain or not. Uh, and she just is a woman. I mean, she's beautiful, but she's not the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. She's smart, but she's not the smartest person I've ever heard. She's witty. She's all, like, she is a solid, you know, nine. (laughs) They have drawn a 16 and a half on the page. And so there is a disconnect between who I'm being told to care about and who I'm seeing to actually care about. So that's part of, that's, that's one. What do you think about that? All right. So, um, there's a a review from the New York times. It's Mm -hmm. printed on the the Wikipedia page for this story. Mm -hmm. And it's Thomas Pryor. And he goes on to say, um, as the story of a strangely fascinating female who insinuates herself in the lives of three very whirly gents, much depends of course on the lady herself. Now, at the risk of being unchivalrous, we venture to say that the lady herself, once that when the lady herself appears upon the scene via flashback of events leading up to the tragedy, she is a disappointment, for Jean Tierney simply doesn't measure up to the word portrait of her character. Pretty indeed, but hardly the type of girl we expected to meet. For Miss Tierney plays at being brilliant and sophisticated advertising executive with the wide-eyed innocence of a college junior. Aside from that principal reservation, however, Laura is an intriguing melodrama. Um, mm-hmm. And even that's a little bit weird because right. the word portrait that we're getting of her on that very opening thing is he was like, she was nothing. She was, right. you know, she had an internal effervescence, but externally he wasn't seeing that. Like it was, and it wasn't visual. It was, it was in her interaction with I him. I think that he was infatuated with her. And this is the reason why he's talking her up the way that he does. She doesn't necessarily have to live up to, at least to my view, the expectations of that, uh, that we've been put. Maybe it's because I would agree with you. Mm-hmm. If everybody else in the movie didn't love her, if, if the detective didn't fall in love with her, I would be on board with what mm-hmm. you're saying. But this movie sets posits a world in which if there is a person with physical attraction to a woman, right. 
or romantic, not even physical, romantic attraction to right, a woman. Because we can they're going to find that. Because here's that's the that's Lydecker the other half. In, yeah, Lydecker is has been cast explicitly to be coded as gay. Mm. You can't have a gay character in 1943. I mean, I bet you could, but let's give them the benefit you know, of the doubt and say that you can't. You do you. But when you hire a man explicitly, like Clifton Webb, explicitly because when your audience looks at him and hears his voice, they will make a series of assumptions, mm -hmm. then you have basically written that character to be right. a homosexual okay. man. That is what you have done. Um, so his motives are extraordinarily confusing to me. Like, is it, like, what does he, he can't, he doesn't want to marry her. He doesn't right. want to be her husband. He doesn't want to bed her, I do not think. He just wants her to always be available to him in whatever way he wants. Is that what it is? Like, it's, or is it. You need to keep yourself as elevated as you can because you are a reflection of me. Because I will not be having children. I think that's what it is. I believe that is it a, is when, it a, when she says, when McPherson asked him if she was in love with him, or and if he was in love with her, his right. response is to say, she thinks I'm the wisest. She thinks blah, I'm, blah, blah, yeah. Blah. And it's always about... The enormous ego. He does have an enormous ego. So since he is not, mm -hmm. at this point, it it appears that he is going to die um, without children. Right. This is his legacy. It and could it, very well be the jealousy when part she of it. When he yeah. loses the control that he has had on her up till now, he can't take it and would rather have I think nothing. That's, way, that's the way that I read it. Okay. Really. Yeah. Um, I think that she's he's very angry because obviously she's not after these sort of urbane, sophisticated. She's after these sort of, you know, as, as there he There isn't anything explicit in the film, but I'm also wondering if mm. he is jealous of her dalliances with these men that he cannot have. That's another way to read it, too. And, I, I, and we don't see him be physically attracted to anyone. I mean, right. he also may be an asexual person. Right. Um, we don't have an, yeah, or an aromantic person at the very Christian least. Webb's character is very obviously infatuated with her or in love with her. He doesn't say quite which, although he does say the, the term end. in love too. His, I have a big problem his with his last uh, line. Yes, is goodbye, Laura, my love. Yes, and but that so, does it. But that's the love that's it's. He, and again, I think if a man had written this, it would come across completely differently. For sure, 100%. The fact that it's based on a woman's specific yeah. you know, work, um, in a popular work at that, it is expressing a lot of these sort of these sort of odd things that happen in a woman's experience as yeah. a professional woman. Yeah, it just, it I, I, I was left at the end of it mm -hmm. with a bad taste in my mouth because it felt like that it it felt like one of a line of evil gay 
or evil coded gay characters mm. where you're talking about like even Scar from The Lion King who is coded gay is not I mean he's a he's a for all intents and purposes as a asexual lion we don't know what his relationship status is, but he's definitely coded gay and is the villain. And this is a pretty common, I mean, even as far back, we're talking about like Psycho, there's some gay coding, right? So it just felt not great to me with him having all of this coding and not having any explicit motive. Because nothing is explicitly stated. Yeah. So then I'm just left to go, well, why, though? Like, but why? <laughs> I don't know that, because, um, I, I, again, having seen um, Clifton Webb playing a number of parts other than this one. Yeah. He did a lot of musicals. He did some comedy, a lot of comedy. And as I mentioned last time, where he intersected with my tastes is that he was going to be Professor Lindenbrock in the film Journey to the Center of the Earth. Oh, right. And he uh, very much like Stuart Townsend uh, in... Got right up to it and then... <laughs> right, got right up to the... Or Stuart Townsend or Eric Stolson. Eric Stolson, Back to the Future, yeah. Got right up to the point, but in Clifton Webb's case, he began to get ill. Oh, no. And he passed away while the film was in production. And oh, no. If you remember the 50s version of Journey to the Center of the Earth, which is one of my favorite movies, yeah. there's... Crawling around Carlsbad Caverns, yeah. and huge sets, and it's, you know, too, it's too really active. For him. Yeah, they wound up casting James Mason, who's one of my ah, other favorite actors, wonderful, <laughs> guy, um, to play this part. Yes, uh, and uh, and so it's funny now thinking about Clifton Webb playing that same part. I don't know that he could carry on the sort of romantic interplay very well, um, but he did play a lot of straight characters. Sure, of course, because he was an actor right. in the 40s and 50s where that playing a gay character wasn't really and an option. Something else we mentioned uh, is that he was on the set with... There were openly gay directors at the time. Right. There were openly gay actors, Ramon Navarro. Yeah. The very first Ben-Hur, which is not the version that we'll be seeing later, but he was openly gay. Right. Um, and that on this film you had... Clifton Webb, yeah, who was a stage actor primarily. This was his big yeah. break in Hollywood. Yeah, which is interesting because he's older. Right. But this is back when they were also looking for the best talent they could find yes. as opposed to the prettiest face. Um, and Dame Judith Anderson. Yes. Who's also, who's a lesbian. Right, who's a lesbian. And that, I think, added an extra kind of frisson to the scenes with her and um, Joan Fontaine and Rebecca. Oh, Yes. For sure. Sort of yeah, I, because we didn't yeah. talk about that. I don't think I knew that, but I definitely felt like in the movie she was gay. Right. Um, but yeah, I didn't. We didn't talk about her about, yeah. reality, like her actual life. And then um, also Vincent Price. Yes, bisexual. Was, very, was very famously bisexual, yes. and so he, yeah, he. So once again, give me right. a mo. Here's the thing: like this is listed in like. Roger Ebert's top 10 mysteries right. of all time. And I would argue that for a mystery to be really good, at least mm-hmm. for me, I don't just need to figure out the who, what, when, and where. I'm going to need the why, and I don't feel like I got it on this one, on if that surface, makes sense. The why is that he was in love with her. 
I don't question, believe that. Yeah, but the question for me, because <laughs> I've always accepted that, my question is, how is he in love with her? Is it something really strange and complicated? Yeah, oh, that's like, right. It's the problem with love in the English language and right. how it has 4,000 different meanings. And we've decided one word's enough. It's fine. Won't cause any confusion at exactly. all. You're right. Yeah. If he was looking at that as my legacy, that's a love. Right. It's a narcissistic love, but it is but a love. When his, his last words are, that, you know, he's saying goodbye to her, my love. But at the same time, every time he's confronted with the issue of whether she loves you or you love her, he always resorts back to how brilliant he was, and she yeah. was a reflection of that. She's the moon to my son or something. Right, right, right. And so it might have just been that if she had run away with Shelby. Yeah. That's um, the other thing. She's not going anywhere. Well, Shelby. She's a New York advertising woman. Like, she's going to stay. Like, right. You just, what you're losing is your date to things. Yeah. You're losing your plus one, which I bet prior to five years ago, you never had a plus one and you never I don't needed think he had a plus one. Plus one, I don't think he was very well liked. But when he has this. Maybe and that's it. You said Maybe it, this very beautiful, very articulate woman yeah. there who's just very. Maybe much, it's like we can right. put up with your nonsense because you've brought this jo- shining jewel with you, mm-hmm. and we like her. And I think that to that extent, that jewel, that uh, jewel, that Gene Tierney does fill that part of being like sure the lovely arm candy that Absolutely. goes everywhere and is really funny and yes. stuff like that. There's a great scene that we didn't mention this time, also with. Um, with Judith Anderson, when she confronts Laura about wanting to have Shelby. Yes. Yeah. And and again... A, it's a real Jolene situation, right. it feels like. I can afford him and understand him. He's no good, but he's what I want. I'm not a nice person, Laura, and neither is he. He knows that I know that that's just what he is. He also knows I don't care. We belong together because we're both weak and we can't seem to help it. Yep. That is such a progressive, forward kind it of is. line to have in this film. She's like, let me keep this man. He can go out and, right. and do whatever he wants to do, that, but he's right. going to come back to you me. You can find anybody that you want. Yep. Because you're so much younger. You yep. have all this, you know, but I have more money than you. Yeah. And that's really what he wants. That's what he wants. So I can keep him. In, and realistically... Right. I could marry him, and you could continue having whatever you have with him. Right. You know, Tuesdays yeah. and Thursdays or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, I I really admire the film for what it achieves and just how really different and, and bold it is. Yeah, I agree with that. The other thing about the, the, it being a mystery is as soon as I heard mm-hmm. Waldo Lidecker talking at the very beginning, like right. the voiceover at the beginning, I'm like, well, that's our murderer. I don't know. Well, see, and why? What you but he definitely fucking did it, though. This film threw off the conventions for when it was made, too. Because I know, that's the other thing. That is also me watching this movie from 2022. Right. I don't... It, it may have been but the fact that a blind side to people. On two separate occasions now that we recorded this particular episode, we have so much to talk about with yeah, these characters. 100%. means that the story really does yes. stand up. I just don't... I don't know. Did you think it was thrilling? Um, thrilling isn't necessarily the word I choose. <laughs> I think thrilling in the same way that, as I mentioned before, Twelve Angry Men was thrilling in that yes, sure. there's a lot Taught. of bravura yeah. acting and it's kept moving at a pace. 
I was thrilled as soon as I saw a man in a bathtub typing on a typewriter. I was like, what's happening? Where are we? What is going on? And we're watching this guy, this guy, really, and I'm not sure what the first draft of the screenplay was that Preminger had to work with, but he's the one who really brought Walter Lydecker to the prominent, the, the mainstream, or the, the prominence, the part. And um, and that was a good choice because you know he gets all the best lines. It's also a very brave choice. Yeah. Because you are your murderer has the first and last lines of this movie. Yeah, exactly. Which and, could be considered a giveaway to someone like me, right? Sixty again, some years in the future. Yes. He doesn't know that I'm going to watch this movie sixty some years in the future, so he wasn't. So it, but it is a bold move to be like just right out the gate. This asshole? Yeah, probably. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you didn't find it particularly thrilling? I don't know. Thrilling is thrilling is it's tricky. It's a strange word. I did enjoy the movie, but I did just, I just, I had that bad taste in my mouth from this, like, we can't let this character be gay. We're going to go ahead and make, because he can't, I don't he can't live up to the manliness of Vincent Price, so he's got to kill a woman. Like, it just feels... Right, and then Vincent Price, too, gets it... blown out of the water by a guy who's just... Dana Andrews, oddly enough, whose character is just himself. Yeah. He doesn't boast about the time yeah. that he went and got the wigged-out killer and he no. got shot, his leg got shot off or whatever. Doesn't do any of that. He's just very quietly... I also really you know, hate when a journalist... Uh-huh. Falls in love with a source. Right. Or sleeps with a source. And when a detective falls in love with the victim that he's protecting. I don't like those tropes. That bothers me. Do your job. (laughs) One time in the film I can remember them actually kissing. And it's very briefly. Yeah, but they definitely are. And he's definitely trying to get her to not be with right. Shelby and be with but him. I don't know if that... Yeah, I Which actually... Which is a little insane. Because at the end of Gaslight, I was like, go get that man. Right. <laughs> go get that nice policeman. He's way better than that dick you were married to. So I guess it turns out I do want them to be together. I just don't want them to be together when the mystery is actively right. happening. You are trying to solve a murder, sir. Could you put your penis Focus. away? Focus. <laughs> like, I just, it was, that was a lot for me. I was just like, but it's, uh, whenever a journalist, especially when they do it with a fucking female journalist, right. wants to start sleeping with her subject or her source or whatever, yeah. oh, I hate it so much. I'm just like, you're basically just saying that a woman can't be professional in her fucking job. It bothers me. Black tapes. I'm fucking talking to you. Um, <laughs> made me so mad. The end of that show made me so fucking mad. Um, but yeah, but I did enjoy the movie. Yeah. It is, I, I guess it's a film noir. I don't know. Is it? It's a it mystery a that's black and white. I don't noir. know that it's a film noir. It breaks noir. a lot of rules in that it's not specifically urban. It's also not a cop. I mean, it is a cop. It's not a PI. It's right. like actually within the system. Although there, you wouldn't the, necessarily know that since he hangs out in the victim's home. The film noirs didn't <laughs> necessarily. A lot of them were private detectives, but not all of them were. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think noir, yeah. it is outside of the police system. It is maybe mm-hmm. alongside, it'll butt up against it every once in a while. Right. But typically, when I think film noir, it is outside yes. of the actual police carceral system because and, it's not like. 
We're going to get you arrested. Someone's going to die. Well, There's not going to be extent, This film was like that, too. That's true. Because he wasn't operating inside the system. He was sort of like going mm. rogue a lot of the time. But um, I also just think it's an interesting choice that he, our Dan Andrews, is not the killer. Yeah. Of our killer, he doesn't institute that justice. Yeah. Um, I guess so that he can still pursue this woman. Well, he went back <laughs> I to guess. rescue her, and it's something that you've also mentioned is up until then you're wondering what's the motivation for this guy going in and doing these heroic things that he's done in the past. Oh, I just was, presumed he's like, um, he's a Mel Gibson. Right. He's a Mel Gibson lethal weapon. He could be. Where he's just like, I don't actually give a fuck right. about my that life. That makes so. the ending where he's literally running back to her apartment to gra- to rescue her. He doesn't have to shoot Waldo. Uh, and the reason I called him Walter is that he reminded me of... Um, uh, Walter Winchell, the newspaper. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I stuff. could definitely see that. Sure. Um, but uh, Very naturally dressed. <laughs> yes. But the fact that he runs up, like his first instinct is just to protect her as opposed to um, as opposed to being the one taking the glory. Right. That was like his story arc. He starts out the thing. He doesn't give a damn. He yeah. walks into the dangerous situations. Yeah. Nothing They walk into him. another man's bathroom right. while Walking that dude is in the tub because right. that's... At- normal that's just an average when, Sunday um, when Shelby takes a swing at him he ducks and just sticks him really good and knocks yeah. him down he's just a tough guy who doesn't you know what he a, didn't do right. charge Shelby with uh, assaulting a police officer <laughs> yeah, well, he no he to. just punched him and they were done they right. were good like mm. but yeah the idea that at the very end he's literally running to protect her yeah that's the end of his arc in the story it's like okay now he's come full circle too yeah, so. now she owes him, so. Who knows? <laughs> so that's Laura, right. 1944, Otto Uh Pretty good. Pretty good. Next week, we're going to talk about something completely uh, different. Completely fucking different. Yeah. And that is Oliver Stone's 1986 wartime epic. That's not quite the word for yeah. it. It's a wartime film. Platoon. We're going to talk about that next week. In the meantime, do you have anything you would like to recommend to our lovely listeners? I would like to recommend a film, a, a series that was for two seasons. Oh, a TV show. A TV a show television. series. Um, Gentleman Jack. Oh, which yes. I recommended, you know, the last time we did this, a it's based on the actual diaries of a female landowner in the 1730s who um, was very unconventional. She owned a lot of property. She was a lesbian. She was was willed a lot of property. Or she was willed a property um, and then she used it to expand and build an empire. And she's very much um, Capitalism. Woo! (laughs) Modern woman in that sense. It's an interesting character. and because it's based on an actual person, they took yeah. pains to try to recreate the um, the environment that she lived in really well. You said 1700 or 1800? 1730. 17, 1730? Damn. Oh, wait, let me double check that. Because I might be wrong. 
It's entirely possible. I think between 1690 and 1840, especially in England, I get real confused. Especially, it, like, oh, I'm all so sorry. looks the same. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, it's fine. 1830s. 1830s. That's what 1830s, I thought. It's like when I suddenly remembered, oh, wait, there's a steam-powered train. That's not yeah. the 1730s. No, 1830s. 1730s was much earlier. Maybe 1830s. Um, and uh, her name is Anne Lister, and she has a family that she... Works with, but she was deeded all the property to that she lives on her estate. Yeah, and so she has conflicts with her sister. She has conflicts with her aunt and her um, father. Uh, she is a difficult person to always like, right? Because she does. She's a staunch conservative. Yeah, she's because she has money. Hi, right. <laughs> and she does kind of underhanded things to keep the conservatives in power. Yes, interesting. She, when she seduces her next door neighbor and winds up genuinely falling in love with her. Oops. But the whole process of seduction, there's a, there's some interesting things that happen in this film, not the least of which is that like she occasionally will turn and break the fourth wall and look directly at Kind of a lot. I saw it happen like three times and I only walked like... I saw maybe four, four or five scenes of it, so maybe right. it was just a particularly heavy episode of that. But but yeah, she'll turn it, and so there'll be times when she is telling this young woman, and Anne Lister is her name, uh, Anne Walker is the name of the young woman. Well, Two Annes, okay. They're, they're and Gentleman Jack refers to what? Refers to her. That's to what her, she's referred okay. to behind her back. As the song oh, goes. it's the, uh, right. it's like a slur. Or whatever. Yes. Okay. Um, and because she dresses like a man. And Sometimes. She struts yes. along a lot. And when she's in a dress, it seems not only does it, she seem horribly uncomfortable, it's terribly, it's played for laughs. Because she's, again, this like is the big funny dresses. Right? I saw her in dresses, but it was um, simple black skirts. Mm-hmm. And very, very, the men, the tops were all, like they were just a blouse hole top, right. like button downs. So it looked like similar to what a man would wear, but on the bottom she'd wear just a black skirt. Right. I think I saw that, but I didn't see her in a big, a big frou frou. She does that dress. because she travels a lot, and so she she's meeting all these important people, and so she doesn't really do honestly by, and uh, and Walker, her girlfriend. Um, but on the other hand, it's interesting watching a character from this particular time. Mm-hmm deal with all these particular issues mm. and also trying to keep herself under the radar but at the same time she desperately wants to get married yeah oh to and a woman to a woman oh nice okay and uh and so at one point uh she's she wants to be somebody's husband right she kind wants of. to like she wants to take that role she gets a ring she wants to go and do the very Anglican thing of taking a, a communion. Oh, okay. To take the sacrament with... With this, that person, yeah. The, that person. So it's a very interesting look into her and her process. And, and she's there been lesbians forever? Oh, there's been lesbians forever. I mean, I just finished watching um, Troy. Also had lesbians. <laughs> there have always been. Always will be. Uh, but... Yeah, it was a very interesting um, story in a series. I'm not, I, I, if you like, it's it's done stylistically. There are moments that 
that do read modern, like when she's breaking the fourth wall or some of the musical choices or stuff like that. But yeah. it's actually really very well done. Very good. And she's not... And what's the, what station is it on? Or what channel is it on? It's on HBO. It's on HBO. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there anything that you would like to recommend? Thank you. Um, I'm going to recommend the thing that you are probably going to recommend next time. But I'm going to steal it from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watched Prey last night yes, on Hulu. In uh, Comanche. In Comanche. We watched the Comanche dub. Uh, it's uh, the latest uh, Predator movie. I don't have a big history with Predator. I was disappointed by the last Predator movie, the one that Sean Black did, because I was like, oh, it's going to be fun. And then it was like, not fun. Yeah. And I was like, but I wanted to be There were moments that really fun, worked. <laughs> and then it for was the most a part, it did bummer. It was like a slog. But this one... This one takes place in the 1719 in the Great Plains. So that's why we watched it in Comanche, because most of the characters, there are French trappers, mm-hmm. there's a predator, and then there are Comanche people. Those are the, that's the group. Several languages are spoken. Several languages are spoken. Uh, we watch everything with subtitles anyway, so let me hear the Comanche. Like, why the fuck wouldn't I? And uh, it stars Amber Midthunder, who we've watched in Legion previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and that movie Ice Road uh, with Liam Neeson, which I actually really enjoyed, and she was really good in that too. Um, and a very good dog whose name is Coco in the real dog, life. Yes, her, the dog was so good. Yes, her, the dog. An American Dingo. Careful, careful. <laughs> and uh, she's gonna fight Predator, and it's gonna be really good. It was an hour and forty minutes. Dan Trachtenberg. Used to be on a show I used to watch all the time called the Totally Rad Show, and uh, then he directed Ten Cloverfield Lane, a movie that is very different than Cloverfield, but I actually enjoy very much, right. and it has a Mary Elizabeth Winstead, so I'm pretty sure you're on board as well. <laughs> um, though to be fair, if she's in it, I probably like it, and if John Gallagher's at Junior's in it, I probably like it, and if John Goodman's in it, I probably yeah. like it, and all that's all who's in it. That's it. That's the cast. Um, so I like his work. I'm I, I'm excited to see that that, and uh, just get me some indigenous. It's it's a really interesting film. I've read some reviews about it, um, and about the striving for authenticity. Yeah, it felt like that. Right. Other than the fact that they had to film it in Canada because we don't really have great planes anymore. Um, but there's a lot of, there's not, the commentary in the film, there is commentary about colonialism. There is, but, but it's it is. Subtle enough, it's, it's subtle. incorporated enough into the story. Yeah. And because it, it is early enough that it isn't really a strong concern yet. Mm-hmm. But you have to include that any time you tell a story yes. from the point of view of indigenous people. Unless it's the 16, 15, 1400s, right. 1300s, the 1300s. Because in the 1300s, there weren't really... Right. Before, well, no, I guess, when did they start coming over? There were attempts... In so- South America right. and Mexico. Well, like, when was Montezuma? When was that? That was a... F- it was a go. It was even before. But I'm just saying, like, 1800s, you definitely have to do things because there are definitely a lot of white and indigenous crossover. But in 1719, there was less. Like, she knew that something was not right. She found a bunch of skinned buffalo. 1511. 
1511. Okay, so say, yes, yeah, so 1300s stories, you don't have to deal with colonizers. Mm. But anything after that, you probably do. Um, unless it's a very small well, yeah, I don't story. Think, yeah, the, the, there were possibly uh, incursions by the Vikings and maybe by the Chinese. Yeah. And even some evidence that the Romans might have come over at some point, but none of them stayed. But, and certainly not in the middle of the country. Right. The, no. the, our landmass is too big. So th- that group, those mm. groups were, and it's possible like this would have been the first time that they had crossed over with any of the trappers. This right. particular tribe, this yes. particular grouping of people. Um, but yeah, they definitely have an interaction with the French but then they also have an interaction with the predators. Which is really well realized. One predator. Single predator. Yeah. It's it's actually really well made film. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I liked the it the very lot. first predator years ago and just being kind of amazed about the direction they took and what they did with the film. And um, it's interesting how many kind of very subtle callbacks there are to that first movie. Yeah. Yes, there were. Yeah, and, you laughed uh, out loud a couple of times. Yeah. You're like, "That's Arnold Schwarzenegger says that in the <laughs> exactly." And so there's a yeah. So it was a really fun movie. It's gory. So if you don't like gory, it is kind gory. Of... Please know it is a predator movie. He's right. not not making a predator movie. So um, yeah, so that's what I yeah. I, I like. Prey on Hulu um, dropped directly to streaming, so it's available if you have yeah. access to Hulu. Uh, next week, Platoon, Charlie Sheen, Willem Dafoe. Tom Berenger, tiny, itty bitty baby, yeah. little bit of Johnny Depp, and a man who's not James Woods. <laughs> no, doing James Woods. How he's doing? Whatever. It's John C. McGinley. We'll talk about it next week. So we're going to talk about Platoon next week. Until then, um, if you have questions or comments or concerns, I would say and any help with my external hard drive. But we got a fresh new one that we're going to be using. So and now we've recorded the one thing that we hadn't edited so we're good uh you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com you can find us on facebook at latecomers podcast or on twitter at latecomers pod i would like to remind you please take your medicine and we would like to remind you better Better late late than than never. never